All right, those of you older than fifth grade, we are continuing, we're partway through our series on our five extraordinary norms, and today we're continuing that series with the fourth of our five, which is, I am recognizing and responding tangibly to the needs of others. Uh, but before we get started and talk about that one, I just want to take a minute, since it's my first time preaching in this series, uh, to, to tell you why I like these, this idea of extraordinary norms uh, and how I think about them. When we think about norms in this context, what we mean are the behaviors, attitudes, and priorities that are normal, that are normal for our congregation. And our hope is that these five norms that we have listed, that we've come up with together, will, by the leading and power of the Holy Spirit, be normal for the people of First Free. That is, uh, these are not reserved for the super spiritual, uh, for the people on council, for staff, for ministry leaders. Uh, we want these things to be the kinds of things that are common to everyone who would call First Free their home church. Uh, let, let me offer an analogy I thought of a week ago and was very excited by this. Uh, raise your hand, if you would, if you are a Packers fan. Don't worry, we're going to be nice. All right, we got some Packers. So what I would like you to do is to just think about for a moment what kinds of things are normal for Packers fans that might not be normal for everyone else, right? We're not going to be mean. I'm just, just practically here. You know, if you are a Packers fan, if you decide this is going to be my team, I'm going to be part of this fan base, uh, there are some things that will become normal for you that weren't before. It will become normal all of a sudden for grown adults to wear a foam replica of a cheese wedge on their head. It will become normal. It will. People do it. Right? It becomes normal for you to wear jerseys, game jerseys with other people's names on the back. That will become normal. Probably wasn't normal before. It will become normal. Uh, it will also become normal to become more emotionally invested in the games. You'll get to know who the players are, what their names are. Where you, I mean, you might find this hard to believe if you're not a sports fan. You will, you will come to know and follow the progression of, of the uh, negotiation for salaries for individual players. And in the last 10 years or so, if you're a Packers fan, it becomes normal to experience sadness and disappointment during, what, the second round of the playoffs usually? Is that? No. Sorry, that's a little bit of a cheap shot there. I know the Vikings have nothing to brag about on those grounds. Uh, I know I'm being a little bit silly here, but there's a serious point here, and it's this. Look, when we give our allegiance to a sports team, when we decide that we belong to their fan base, it does, in fact, change what we think of as normal. If you don't believe me, find someone in your life who is not a sports fan, and they will tell you that is absolutely true. Some of those changes, as we described, are going to be trivial, right? Uh, they're they're going to have to do with cheese heads and, and uh, jerseys. But some of them are, if you think about it, more significant. They will impact the way that you spend your time and your money, and possibly they'll even start to impact your sense of happiness and well-being. Maybe that's more if you're a Vikings fan. What we are arguing, though, in this series, and really all the time as your pastors, is that giving your allegiance to Jesus ought to change your idea of normal at least as much as your allegiance to a sports team. Friends, being part of God's family ought to change your idea of what is normal behavior, what are normal priorities, at least as much 
as being part of a sports fan base. Now, we, we considered in our analogy here, I gave you a little list of what we might consider normal for a Packers fan. So what might a similar list look like for followers of Jesus? Well, hopefully you've heard the list by now a couple times. Uh, we have a list of five, and, and I'll freely admit, this may not be the, the best list of extraordinary norms, it may not be the most exhaustive one, but they're ours. And honestly, I, I like them, personally. I have found them personally helpful and challenging in my own spiritual life. And, and here's our list. What we say is this, our hope is that by the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit, that First Free would be a congregation where it is normal to, one, be shaped by God's story and to share it with others. Two, to build a relationship with other believers that feels like family. Three, to grow in our ability to reflect the character and priorities of Jesus. Four, where it is normal to recognize and respond tangibly to the needs of others. And five, where we live life as residential missionaries. Pastor Joel has covered those first three in previous weeks, and today we're covering the fourth, recognizing and responding tangibly to the needs of others. But before we get into why I think that should be normal for followers of Jesus, let me just take a couple minutes to define and explain to you what we mean by that. Uh, there are, I think, three key elements to this particular norm we're going to discuss this morning. First, recognizing. We are recognizing the needs of others. That means we have our eyes open, and at least some of our attention is directed outwards, towards others, towards those around us. Second, we are responding to those needs. That is, we are not like the priest and the Levite in the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, who come across somebody in dire need and make note of it, but then just continue on their way. We recognize, and then we respond. And third, we are responding tangibly, uh, all we mean by that is we're not outsourcing all of this, all right? We're not just seeing a need and sending best wishes or thinking to ourselves, boy, someone should really do something about that. Uh, we are looking at a need and asking ourselves, what can I do? What could I do to help? And then we do it. That's what we mean by recognizing, responding tangibly to the needs of others. Well, what does that look like in practice? Well, this morning I want to suggest and then discuss further two primary categories. One, I think it means giving generously with our time and resources. And two, I think it means using our skills and gifts to serve others. Most of the time, responding tangibly to the needs of someone else is going to require either one or both of these things. In other words, if you, if you put all this together, uh, what we want is it for, for it to be normal for our congregation, for us to have our eyes open to the needs around us, and then to respond to those needs out of what God has so generously given us, whether that's through our money, our time, our skills, or just manual labor. Now, of course, here, as everywhere, we need to exercise wisdom and discernment. But what we are looking for here is for responding tangibly to be the norm, not the exception. All right, now that you know what we mean by recognizing and responding to, to needs tangibly, uh, I, I want to pose the big question I'm going to spend the rest of our time answering this morning, which is this. Why should that be normal? 
Why should that be normal for followers of Jesus? Because look, let's be honest, if that's just my idea or if this is the staff's idea, it might still be a good idea. We do have some of those from time to time. But you'd be under no particular obligation to pay attention to it, let alone to follow through on it. But that's not what I want to say this morning. What, I, what I'm arguing this morning is that God tells us in Scripture that he wants this to be normal for his people, for his church, for those who would call themselves by his name. And I have two primary reasons for saying that. We'll look at two passages that I think will make that clear. First, God expects us to be generous to others because God was generous to us first. Now look, I know, we all know this, this point is not going to contain probably any new information for most of you, but it never hurts to remind ourselves that the most valuable thing any of us possesses or will ever possess in our lives, the thing of greatest value, was given to us as a gift by our Heavenly Father. Look with me at Romans 6, 22 to 23. Here the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the gift of God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, our salvation our reconciliation to God, uh, eternal life is a gift that was given generously and graciously to us by our Heavenly Father. And, Paul notes uh, elsewhere, this is a gift given not just to one person or one people, but to all people. That's the size and scope of God's generosity. And it means that the most precious and valuable thing any human being will ever possess was a gift. A free gift. None of us earned it. None deserved it. It was the gift of a generous God. And we should note, by the way, I think this is important, we just affirmed it in song earlier together, that while this gift was free to us, it was costly to God. Jesus laid down his life so that we might live. Now, again, as I say, I suspect most of us know that, even if it's good to be reminded but the challenge for us, the challenge for, certainly for me, is to let this greatest of gifts transform our perspective, uh, to transform it specifically when it comes to generosity. Look, this week, uh, our, the, the spring broke on our garage door. I don't know if you know what that is, but uh, it, in the morning, the, one, the garage door wouldn't go up, and when I went out there and figured out the reason it wasn't going up is this huge spring had broken, uh, I will confess to you that my first thought upon looking at this broken spring was not, you know, that's a bummer, but compared to the generous gift God has given me in Jesus Christ, this is no big deal, right? I know you're surprised to hear that. It wasn't even my second or third thought. Uh, and you can see why that is. You know, there's practical considerations. But, you know, honestly, as I thought about it this week, that's an area where I could certainly stand to grow, or I, I think would be served well by looking at more things in my life through the lens of God's prior generosity to me. 
I mean, think of it this way. Uh, think if we started looking at the needs of others through that lens. What if when God opens our eyes to the needs of the people he has brought into our lives, our first thought as we considered their needs was, man, think of how generous God has been to me. Don't you think that if we started from that point, if we looked from that lens, don't you think that would inspire us? That it would motivate us? That it might even obligate us to be generous in turn? I mean, if, think about that for a moment. Just all things being equal, if this were a hypothetical situation, wouldn't you expect that a people who confesses and proclaims publicly and often that the most precious thing they have was given to them as a gift, wouldn't you expect that people, whoever they might be, to be overly generous, unusually generous? I think we would. When I was probably a junior in high school, I don't know, some fall, I could drive, I was in high school, uh, it was a Saturday evening, I get a call from a friend of mine, he says, hey, there's a whole group of us, we're going we're gonna to go to Fazoli's together for dinner, do you want to come? I said, yeah, of course I want to come, that sounds awesome. Uh, if you don't know what Fazoli's is, uh, they don't have those here, but it's kind of a, a fast food Italian kind of thing, like an Italian Chipotle, if you can imagine such a thing. Uh, so I said, yep, I'll be there, I hang up. Uh, my dad's in, in the living room uh, watching football or preparing to watch football. I, I walked out, I said, hey dad, a uh, bunch of my friends are having dinner at Fazoli's, I'm gonna join them, just so you know. And he said, all right, thanks for letting me know. Have fun. And then, you know, as I turned to leave, my dad said, oh hey, do you need any money for dinner? Well, I... I don't want to say this never happened in my household, but it was unusual, right? The theory in my household was that if you did not want to eat the meal that would, was prepared for you at home that evening and chose to eat somewhere else, you could pay for it. That's why you have a job. Uh, so, so this was a, a sort of surprising uh, moment of generosity from my dad, and I wasn't going to let that opportunity fly by. So I, I froze and said, well, you know, now that you bring it up, I actually could use some money for dinner. Thank you. Uh, and so my dad gets out his wallet, he opens it up, and, and, and I can see him sigh, and I know immediately he's realizing he had checked his wallet before he made the offer, but he didn't. Uh, and he said, he pulls out a 20 and says, all I have is a 20. And I said, well, that'll work. And so I go over, I grab it, and my dad didn't let go. He pulled it back and said, I will be expecting some change. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. I'll, have, I'll bring you back all the change. So I took the 20, I'm driving, feeling great, going to Fazoli's. I get in line, my buddy's right in front of me. Uh, he places his order and he says, I'll just have breadsticks with the marinara dipping sauce. <clears throat> I said, what do you mean you're just gonna have breadsticks? I said, aren't you hungry? And he said, yeah, I am hungry, but that, I don't have any money on me right now. That's all, I can, that's all I can spring for. And you know, I have to tell you, having been recently the recipient of some generosity myself, I was feeling generous. And I said to my friend, I said, you know what? I've been there. I can, I can sympathize with what you're going through right now. So you know what? Order an entree. I got it. And he said, no, 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 no. You don't have to do that. I said, no, I know. I don't have to do it. I want to do it. Get an entree. I got it. No, don't worry about it. He's like, wow, all right. Thanks, man. So he ordered his entree. I paid for it with uh, my dad's money <laughs> and felt very good. But you know what I realized and what you all realized and why you laughed at that? It was easy for me to be generous in that situation. You know why? That wasn't my money. 
And what you knew, what I knew, and my friend didn't know, is it didn't matter to me whether I spent $5 or $10. I wasn't keeping that change anyway. I couldn't take that with me. I might as well be generous to him. Why not be generous to a friend with money I can't keep anyway? Now, maybe you see where I'm going with this, but here's the thing. That's really a pretty good analogy for the life you and I live while we're here on earth. Every good thing you have, God has given you. And when it's all over, you aren't taking any of that with you. And here's the thing. I don't want to say unlike my dad. I don't want to be unfair to him. But certainly more than my dad, God actually wants you to be generous with what he has given you. He wants you to be generous with the blessings he has poured out on you. In fact, he expects it. He expects that his generosity to you will produce generosity in you. If we are his people, if we are who we say we are, which is the recipients of staggering generosity, then I would think it should be normal for us to be generous with others. I mean, if we have received salvation the forgiveness of sins, and eternal life as a free gift, just the size of that gift ought to transform us. It should change us. That is, it should be normal for us to be generous because God has first been so generous to us. That's number one. Second, God expects us to serve others He expects us to serve others because in his kingdom, the greatest are servants. One way to think about norms is that they describe culture. They tell you what to expect, right? So norms tell you uh, what to expect, whether you're a Packers fan or whether you're starting at a new workplace, right? Uh, when When you're a Packers fan, uh, you norms will tell you that uh, jerseys and cheeseheads are going to be normal. But they're probably not normal at your new workplace. They will have different norms. There, maybe a suit and tie is normal, maybe business casual. It tells you about culture. Norms tell you what to expect. One of the areas where Jesus tells us clearly and directly what his kingdom culture is like is in the area of serving. Jesus tells us, what we don't, shouldn't need to be told, which is that in our world, both today and back then, that it was normal, it was normal for the greatest, for the people who enjoyed high status or great wealth, to have many servants. Uh, the people with high status were served by many. But Jesus tells us repeatedly, clearly, and directly that in his kingdom, things are very different that the culture of his kingdom is one of mutual service, that in his kingdom it is normal to serve others, as he himself exemplified. Look with me, if you would, at Luke 22, 24 to 27. This is actually right after the Last Supper. Jesus walks up on his disciples, and an argument began between them about who should be reckoned the greatest. But Jesus said to them, Among the Gentiles, it is the kings who lord it over them, and those who have authority over them who are given the title of benefactor. 
But with you, this must not happen. It must not happen. No, the greatest among you must behave as if he were the youngest, the leader as if he were the one who serves. For who is the greater, the one who is at table or the one who serves? Well, the one at table, surely. And yet here I am among you, Jesus says, the one who serves. We could hardly ask for a clearer contrast. Jesus asks the right question. He says, he asks his disciples, look, you tell me, what is normal among the Gentiles? What is normal among all the nations and peoples of the world? And then he answers his question. He says, what's normal is for those with high status to lord it over those beneath them. That is what's normal, what we expect is the people who enjoy that high status, people who enjoy authority, to leverage those things to their own advantage. And here in verse 24, Jesus comes across his own disciples operating according to the exact same norms, bickering amongst themselves as to who enjoys higher status, who can lord it over the others. And Jesus, near the end of his ministry, reminds them one more time, emphatically. This struck me this week. I don't don't know why, but it just struck me. Verse 26, he looks at his disciples knowing his death is near, and and he pleads with them. He says, with you, this must not. It must not be normal. He knows it could be normal. He knows it can easily become normal, even among his disciples, even in the church. But he says it must not be normal. Well, what should be then? Well, verse 26b, he says, The greatest among you, the greatest must be the ones who serve. Outside of Jesus' kingdom, it is normal, it is typical, it is common for those with power and status to leverage those things to their own advantage, uh, to to achieve their wants and their desires. But inside Jesus' kingdom, it must not be so. Here, Jesus says, the great must serve. If you have power, if you have status, if you have wealth, that's fine, but you must leverage it for the advantage of others. That should be normal. It must be normal. Because Jesus is the king. Friends, this is his kingdom. Our church is his church. And he said it must be this way. And so it must. And the king himself, we would do well to remember, came not to be served, but to serve. So what would that look like? What does it look like for us to be a church where it is normal to serve one another and to serve others together. Well, let me start by saying, as someone who was once new to this church, uh, that I actually think we do a pretty good job with this. I already think this is pretty normal here. I mean, as a pastor, I will say, honestly, I am routinely humbled by how many of you give weekly, regularly of your time and your resources and your energy and your gifts to serve others inside our congregation and outside. It is a wonderful thing to see. So the good news is we don't need to do a 180 here. We don't need to make a radical change. But what I would suggest is that we do need, nevertheless, to be intentional about continuing to cultivate 
that kind of culture. Uh, we should be intentional about growing further in that area. We should, amongst other things, I think, we should be intentional about making sure we are raising our kids, that is collectively, the children and students in this church, raising them in that culture to understand that serving one another, that giving generously to one another should be normal. It is normal for the family of God. Finally, I think we should not be shy about saying it often, that here at this church we expect that it will be normal for us to serve. It's a good thing that I could think easily of dozens of stories to share at this point. I'm going to share one about my friend Ben, because he's not here to be embarrassed by me doing it. Uh, but a couple years ago, I was driving in on a Wednesday night uh, in the winter. I was leading prayer meeting here at church. Uh, it had snowed a bunch on Wednesday. The roads were not great. Uh, and I had turned off of uh, Diamond Lake Road. I turned left onto Portland. And so, you know, you go straight, and then it kind of curves out to the left a little bit. Uh, well, as I'm approaching that point, I can see that somebody in front of me didn't quite curve. They kept going straight, uh, and their car had gone straight up over the curb, right up onto, you know, there's, it was already the time where we had like a four-foot bank of snow there, and their car had gone all the way up there, and the peak of that snow bank was between the two axles. That car was going nowhere, right? It's four feet off the ground. It's just packed down in the snow, and I can see three young guys standing around the car, pushing on it to no effect whatsoever. Uh, so I pulled over and I asked, I rolled down my window, I asked the obvious question, I said, hey, are you guys okay? Do you need any help? And they said, ah, uh, yeah, thanks, we're fine, but I don't know, I think so. Our, our car, I'm trying to think how they said it, because it was classic passive voice. Our car ended up up here and we can't get it down. They don't know how it got there, they can't get it down. Uh, and I said, hey, I, I'm actually headed to church just three blocks away. I'm sure I can round up some people and, and we'll come give you guys a hand. And they said, oh, thanks, that would be great. So uh, I rolled up my window. I dialed uh, Ben on my phone before I even pulled away. And Ben answered and I, I laid out the situation to him. I said, hey, do, do you by any chance have your toe straps with you? And Ben said, of course, it's winter and it's Minnesota. I always have my toe straps with me. And I said, great. Uh, you know, I, I laid out the situation. I said, do you think uh, if I got there, you and I could hop in your car and go, go help them out? And I'll never forget this because it's the most Ben answer ever. Ben said, no, no, no. You just go lead prayer meeting or whatever. I got it. And I said, thanks. And you know what? I didn't worry about it because I knew he did have it. It was right up his alley. Uh, he is the guy who drives around with toe straps all the time just in case. Uh, and I found out later, as soon as he hung up with me, he threw on his coat, got in his car, drove to these three guys, hooked up the toe straps, towed them down, and they drove off gratefully home. You know what I love most about this story, as I've thought about it in the years past? What I love is it felt normal. Uh, I knew when I called Ben, I wasn't going to have to persuade him or coerce him. I knew that if I, I knew, that, in fact, I knew once I explained the situation, he would have to be restrained. I knew that it would be normal for him to help. That was normal for him. That's just normal. If someone, if their car's off the side of the road and they need help, it is normal for him to help. That's what he does. It's who he is. Helping was normal. Serving was normal. And I love that. 
That, I think, is the kind of thing Jesus is talking about. His kingdom is to be a place where the default response when we see a need is to ask ourselves, what could I do to help? And then to do it. We must be a people, we must be, where it's normal to serve because this is Jesus' kingdom. It is his church. And he told us that this is how it should be and he set the example. The king himself spent his life in service of those he came to rule. And friends, if if we want to be his church, if we want to be recognizable as his people, then we must be a place, a people, where it's normal to serve. As I close, I want to take you back one more time to my opening analogy. Look, if, if you leave today and you decide you are, you are going to become a Packers fan, uh, you, can, you can do a couple things to see what you need to do, right? You can go to a game at Lambeau, you can watch a game on TV, and you will get a pretty good idea of what you need to do to become a, a truly committed Packers fan, right? You're going you're gonna to watch and you're going to realize, all right, I got I to gotta acquire some more green and gold clothing. Um, you're, you're going to... Uh, you're going to realize, like, okay, I need to learn a little bit more about the roster, the players on the team. I need to, I need to recognize these names when people talk about them. And, and you're going to need to learn to think of cheese, not just as a, as a delicious food, but as a possible wardrobe accessory. Those are things you need to do, right? Uh, which prompts us, again, a silly idea, but prompts a serious question in turn, which is, if we are the disciples of Jesus... What habits and practices should we be cultivating that will move us towards that goal, towards the goal of becoming more like Christ, towards being recognizable as his people? That's what we've been trying to get at with this sermon series this fall. Uh, and we're, we're doing that because we, we, we believe, and I'll say it one more time, that if we have given our full allegiance to Jesus, we should expect that commitment to transform our idea of what is normal and to change it in one particular direction toward being more like him. And a big part of that picture is going to be growing in our ability to recognize and respond tangibly to the needs of others. As we close, in a minute here, I'm going to give you a little bit of time to think about this. Uh, but, But I have one more analogy for you, and it's this. If you were to come to me and you were to say, to, to, to pursue something similar, right? Like if you said, hey, I'd like to, I saw these runners out there, it inspired me, I want to be able to, I want to run a marathon. Uh, or maybe you would just say, hey, you know what, I want to learn a new language. I want to be able to speak another language fluently. Or if you just say, you know what, I, I want to become a better baker. I want to be a consistent, excellent baker. If that's your goal, by the way, I don't know why you're talking to me, you shouldn't talk to somebody else about that. But hypothetically, if you did, you came to me with any of those three things, uh, what I would say to you is, okay, if you're serious about that, the first thing you need to know is that's not going to happen on its own. Deciding to run a marathon isn't going to make you able to run a marathon. You're going to have to start running short distances and then gradually longer distances. There's no shortcut. Uh, if you want to learn a language, man, you're going to have to immerse yourself in that language. You're going to have to commit yourself to the hard work of memorizing vocabulary. If you want to be a great baker, you're going to have to do the same recipes over and over and over and learn how the individual ingredients impact what you're doing. 
Uh, you will, in other words, you are going to have to develop some habits, some practices, and some behaviors that are going to gradually move you closer to that goal. It's not going to happen by magic. Same thing is true here. If we want to be a people that increasingly resembles our Lord and Savior, uh, if, if we want serving or meeting, recognizing, responding to the needs of others tangibly to become normal, we're going to have to develop some habits and practices that are going to get us there. So as we close, I want to encourage you to just take some time and to ask yourself, what, what are some habits and practices that you could adopt? Not one-time things that you're just going to do and check off. Habits, practices that might move you closer to that goal. So take some time, think about that. I'll give you some ideas as you think. You know, maybe for you, you heard this and you thought, you know, one thing I need to do is every month I just need to add a budget line in our, in our household budget that I just call generosity. And I, whatever I can put in there to start with, I just put in there. And maybe over time I bump that up. But, but that is a budget item that I will protect that I'm just going to use to bless other people. Generosity budget. Right? For some of you, uh, maybe that's not the way the Lord is leading you this morning. Uh, maybe you've got some really practical helpful skills that other people could really use. And you're just going to make it a point to, to seek that out, to look for where people need help and to proactively offer it. Don't make people come to you, you'll go to them. Maybe it's something else altogether. Uh, maybe you're going to set aside some time, your time, your attention, and you're going to commit to yourself that, hey, you know, every time you tell someone, hey, I'll be praying for you, you make a note and you call them back. You track them down again and you actually pray for them. You say, hey, you know, you shared this with me. I said I'd be praying for you. I've been praying with you. I want to pray with you now. Those are all ways that we can practically establish some habits, some practices that are going to move us closer to that goal. So just take a minute. Think about which way God might be leading you to, to go this morning. Father, it's a strange thing, and maybe I'm alone in this, but I feel like sometimes we talk often, like really often, about your generosity to us, your graciousness, your goodness to us. And yet at the same time, Lord, I can't help but feel like I don't often enough make a point of really meditating on that, of allowing that fact, those facts, to really sink into my heart and change it. Father, I pray now as we transition to celebrating the Lord's Supper together, Lord, where we are going to celebrate together in a very tactile way the great and generous gift of our Lord and Savior, I pray that we might take time to do that. That as we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, that the the reality of what those symbols represent would really sink into our hearts and minds and do some work. 
I pray, Lord, that you would help all of us to become better at seeing all of the obstacles and expenses in our own lives, not to mention the, the opportunities and needs in the lives of others through that lens. I pray, Father, I ask that, Lord, through your Spirit, that your generosity to us might produce greater generosity in us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.